Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. Patio Palooza continues. It has resumed. For, no, it has resumed for yeah, the week. There you go. Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. And before we forget, Tristan, we have to congratulate our winner. Who is our winner for today? Uh, our winner for today is Kathleen Myra. Or Mira. Mira? I don't know. Pardon me. Uh, Kathleen, we apologize if we uh, didn't pronounce your name correctly. Uh, but uh, you have won a $100 tab for Santa Lucia. And I will say this, the pizza here is, in my opinion, the best in the city. Yeah, Tristan got himself a barbecue chicken pizza. And uh, I first thought, well, that's kind of weird. But as I look at it, I, it looks Yes, you can't keep your hands off it. I haven't touched your pizza. Uh -huh, we'll I put my hands on the plate to pose for a photograph right. for the instant gram. Right. But I didn't touch the pizza. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we're gonna go, we'll we're gonna go. order our own pizza after. So Kathleen won the tab. We've been giving away these hundred dollar bar tabs or tab not bar tabs, just tabs <laughs> to come join us on the patio. We Kathleen know where is mind the winner. Is. Um, and we also can tell you that we're hoping to see Kathleen today. So Kathleen, if you're on your way down here for today, come say hi. We're on the the rooftop patio here, the south side, and the winner for next week is Ron Kozuzek. We're guessing on the pronunciation of that. Yeah. Kazuzek, Kozuzek, I'm really sorry, Ron. Ronnie K. Let's go with Ronnie K. Sure. Ronnie K. is the winner for next week. So thanks for uh, participating. A lot of people trying to get involved in that. Go to cjob.com to throw your name in. Um, do we have one more week after that, Jess? We're not sure. Okay, maybe not. Stand by on that. We'll see if, they, if that promo lives on. We will let you know. In the meantime, Kathleen Mira has won, as well as Ron Kozuzek wins for next week to join us here at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road. Now, got to get a little serious. We always like to have some fun on Fridays, a bit more fun than usual. Mm. But, uh, Tristan, it's been a, a difficult week internationally yeah. with uh, the situation in Barcelona and now the situation in Finland. We... Um and I, I think this is, we are going to have some fun later in the show, but I think this is a conversation we need to have with our listeners. Uh, Europe has seen, uh, I guess the best way of describing it would be a rash of terrorist attacks. And uh, it's, it's disheartening. It's disturbing when you look at it. And we know, I mean, I'm sure if you go through your friends, you could ask any one of them, have you ever been to Barcelona or Paris or London? And you'll find at least one person who says yes to maybe even all three of those. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to hear from our audience. Uh, there were several people stabbed in Finland earlier this morning. Yesterday we heard of two attacks actually in Spain, one in Barcelona uh, and another one uh, in a town, I believe, that was outside of Barcelona where several suspects were apprehended and shot by police. This is a serious subject, and we'd be interested in your thoughts. When you hear about these terror attacks taking place, in major European cities, especially in touristy areas. Barcelona, for instance, that took place in an area that's very popular, uh, a popular shopping district, I believe. What are your thoughts on this? Does this concern you? Do you have plans to travel internationally, and are you reconsidering that? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also text us at that number, or, or you can email us, brett at cjob.com. Tristan at cjob.com, but the first point of contact is to phone us at 204-780-6868 because someone that we know yesterday said, listen, my my kid just came back from Spain. Yes, yeah, and I know of a few people where I'm sure if I went through my Facebook feed uh, in the, over the last few months or even last year, 
I could find at least one person who's either been to Finland, who's been to Spain, who's been to France, who's been to the UK. So there's a lot of people who travel. Do these attacks at all concern you, even if you're traveling within Canada or the US, as an example? I mean, we haven't been nearly as susceptible to this uh, compared to Europe for a variety of different factors. But does this is this something that now crosses your mind when you choose to travel even within your own country? And, and what do you do to prepare yourself or even protect yourself in these instances? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's odd when you start when you sit back and think about how many attacks have happened in Europe now, and it's become it, it has almost become commonplace. It's not something you used to like when I think of Europe. You, 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 I like to think of it as a peaceful place. Certainly, but yeah. you've had so many attacks in recent years. Not don't want to sound like a fear monger here, but it it is it would be a mild concern for me. I have never been to Europe. I yeah. want to go to Europe. If I were to book a vacation right now to Europe, I might raise some eyebrows. We have a Loren on the line at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Loren, what do you think? <laughs> Actually, it's Noren, but anyway. Oh, pardon okay. me. We're, no, uh, just we're so just you know that we're uh, we're on the road. Savannah's in the studio back at the station, that's so okay. no we, uh, we, no I couldn't quite hear. No, that's okay. You know, we just got back about a month ago from Paris. We were in Paris, Venice, and Germany. And we actually met my daughter. Uh, she was on a school trip just in June. We met her in Berlin. And we did, and I was, a, I think there was a terrorist attack or, 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 or something that happened just before she had left. And we did have the conversation. Uh, I had my sister-in-law saying, are you crazy letting her go? And I said, what am I going to do? You know, I can't stop her from going. I'd be the mean parent from letting her not go. And we had a talk with her saying that, you know, you have to be a little more vigilant and keep your eyes open, you know, stay in a group. And if something happens, you know, look look for where where, where is your escape, which is horrible to say because you're you're going there to use other language to it, right? And you're going there as, as, you know, you're going there to enjoy yourself, but you have to start being more vigilant now. Uh, when we met her, we were, you know, we were in Paris, we were there, there's, it's a little unnerving when you're seeing uh, army personnel walking around with their hand on the trigger and a semi-automatic weapon. And we're everywhere you go in Paris, in uh, the tourist areas, that they are there with the army personnel, police officers. I think they have about four or five different um, police units, if you want to call them. We have many different people in, in uniform. In Venice, right in the main, main square, they're walking around. And that's just, I think that's become part of life now for us. Would I, uh, we had the conversation, do we not go? It's like, well, she's there, we have to kind of go. But you can't stop. You have to, you have to go. You have to be part of life. How did that feel when you were walking around, I mean, a first world developed country, one of the most, arguably, possibly even the most iconic city in the world? That Did that feel at all surreal, seeing it almost under martial law, for lack of a better term? I think at first, um, especially in Paris, because they are on high alert. Um, at first, it was kind of you're always walking, you know, watching behind you, and almost feeling like you are being watched all the time, and you don't want to, <laughs> don't want to touch something just in case. Uh, because in Paris, you know, in France, it's uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. Um, but afterwards, it was it was a little. I, I felt a little more comfortable actually, knowing that, you know, there was people visible, visible and protective. Uh, but I guess because we were there for three weeks, it just became, okay, first it was kind of shocking. And like, okay, this, this is this is what life is like here uh, in the airports. I mean, they're, they're walking in an airport and they're walking around there and they're looking at you. They're not, they're not friendly. They're saying, they, they're not friendly at all. They're not there to, um, 
be friends with you. They are there to protect you. Uh, when we were uh, in, waiting to go into Notre Dame, uh, something happened there where they're, of course, they have a lot of pickpockets in, in Paris, too, and they're trying to watch that situation. Mm-hmm. But they're on them like a hawk. All of a sudden, we heard yelling and, you know, Yenny feet, arrest, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and they just swarmed five people, literally swarmed them and pulled them out of the crowd. And, yeah, they're walking around with their hands on the trigger and in flap jackets and everything. So it, it's, it's I, I, I honestly feel that maybe it's something, you know, it's hard to say that we've come to this time in our world, but I think in Canada, even though we had to talk with our kids how we've just become a little more complacent and maybe we need to become a little more observant of what's going on. All right. Thank you very much yeah. for the call. Have a good weekend, yeah. all right? You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Fabulous insight. Yeah, that's great. And, and well, you know, it, it's and, and as someone with French heritage, and unfortunately, I've never been to uh, France or Europe for that matter. But as someone with a French heritage, it really saddens me to hear these, you know, these icons, these landmarks, this world-renowned, world-class city. And I understand why they're doing it. I understand why they have to have all that security there. But it's just sad that that is the reality we live in today. Um, and again, if you have any stories from traveling to Europe, if you are going to travel to Europe sometime soon and you're reconsidering your plans, give us a shout, give us a text, 204-780-6868, 204-780-6868. I'm Brett McGarry, he's Tristan Field-Jones, we are live at Patio Palooza, the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road, it is a lovely patio, Tristan's pizza looks sensational, smells delicious, Tristan, is it delicious? It is delicious. Of course it's delicious, Santa Lucia Pizza. 204-780-6868 is the number to call to weigh in on what we've been talking about. We will continue the conversation after we look at your forecast, which is coming up next. Tristan Field-Jones here in for Greg Mackling with Brett McGarry on the patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. A lovely day, uh, a lovely view, and some lovely food. But in the meantime, what we are talking about, uh, we've been asking our listeners... If you've recently come back from Europe, or if you're heading to Europe soon, in light of these attacks, we had the attack in Barcelona yesterday, another one in Finland earlier today, are you concerned about your safety, and what are you doing to prepare for that? Uh, We have John on the line. Now, John, I understand you just came back from London? Uh, Yeah, I literally just got in yesterday afternoon. So what was was the atmosphere there like? Oh, it's great. It's just packed with tourists. Um, They don't act like there's a terror threat on, but there's... I went across London Bridge, and the barricades they have now are just incredible. You know, if they'd had them before, it might have been better. But <laughs> What kind of barricades are set up there, John? Um, they're on the sidewalks. They're about, uh, oh, I don't know, they're, they're, they're metal. And they're about six feet long, sort of in a tear, not even a teardrop shape, but an eye shape. And you can pass between them as pedestrians, but there's no way for a vehicle to get through. So uh, they're design- it's designed to be a barricade for people on the sidewalk? Yeah, I so think they're portable. They fill them with water or something to add weight to them. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're just they're huge. They're about three feet tall and six feet long and probably three feet wide. John, when and you... They- Sorry, John, when you went to London, were you at all concerned uh, for your safety there, I mean, in, in light of hearing all no. the news? No, not at all? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I was there last year, too, and it's, it's, uh, I did London Bridge, Borough Market. Um, you go down to 
uh, 10 Downing Street and horse guards, and, yeah, there's cops with submachine guns everywhere. And What's that like when, just... you, when you see that? Because that's I certainly like not it. something we're used to seeing here. Yeah, I like it. it you know, it's they're there it's... to keep you safe. So it's a calming um, presence for you. Yeah. I mean, most of the police still don't have guns. You know, you, you see them on the underground and outside the underground stations, and most of them have, like, a taser and a set of handcuffs, and that's about it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. All right, John, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. Oh, and we also have a Carrie on the line at 204-780-6868. Hey, Carrie, uh, what do you think? Well, you know what, I think in Canada and, I guess, the U.S., we're sort of spoiled because we really haven't uh, faced much homegrown terrorism. Certainly nothing compared to the way Europe, that's for sure. Um, you know, the first time I think I ever encountered was was when I was in Colombia a number of years ago, and probably when there was a lot of drug running still. And, you know, when, when you see a lot of army, uh, you know, with machine guns, uh, ripping everything apart, so on and so forth, and then I... You know, I've traveled a lot of the world, and, and I, I just came back from Morocco, which is a pretty serious uh, Muslim country. Um, you know, even there, I mean, there, there's a lot of a lot of army presence. Yeah, even getting out of the country was harder than getting into the country in terms of layers of security. So, you know, I think you just go about doing whatever you're going to do. What's going to be, yeah, I guess, is what's going to be. I mean, if you, if you sit in the closet, well, I guess, have a good time, but uh, if you want to live your life, live your life. That's a fair point, and we appreciate that, Carrie. Thank you for the call. Uh, you, yeah. you, it is you do have to. You can't allow fear to dictate what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. You know, I still want to go to Europe. I want to go to Belgium. Yep. I like, but you know, I've always. <laughs> Maybe it's just because uh, I like their beers or whatever. But uh, when I went right. to Folklorama, they uh, a few years ago and went to the the Belgian Pavilion. I enjoyed their stories and uh, they visited Belgium on the Amazing Race and it just I want to go there. And they were attacked, but I'm not going to let that stop me from eventually going there one day. I'm hoping that it will be sometime in the next five years, but who knows when? But I don't I don't want to be I don't want. Well, and I, I'm, I'm loath to almost say this, but you know, if, the ter- if you let the terrorists win by by giving into fear, yeah. Well, and you know what, Brad? It's funny because your your sentiment is um, echoed by some of our listeners too. We're getting a couple of text messages at 204-780-6868. Uh, one person saying, "Yes, these attacks are devastating, but to have fear and withhold from travel gives the terrorists exactly what they want. We should we just stand strong together and show that terror can't be justified." Caution should be implemented, but to recluse and stay at home from fear of terrorism allows them to win. Continues to say, a friend of mine recently returned from traveling abroad, Spain being one of the places, and the same mentality is apparent there. These people don't deserve your fear, so you don't give it to them. Obviously, people need to be aware and alert as well. And we have Tim here saying, uh, uh, he was saying, uh, referencing the art of war by Sun Tzu, and he was apparently mentioning that one of the tactics to infiltrate an enemy is to create a refugee crisis, supposedly. And we have to look this up. Uh, and he says, you know, not all refugees are bad, but it only takes one radical to cause damage. And he's waiting for it to happen in Canada. I certainly hope you're wrong about that, Tim. But unfortunately, I think, and especially when we see the number of refugees that are 
asylum seekers, I should say, that are coming across the border at Quebec. I mean, there was just an article out yesterday about how the RCMP have intercepted in the first half of August at the Quebec border. They've intercepted close to 4,000 of them. And that's more than all of July. And July was already a record-breaking month, too. So... I think we absolutely need to be vigilant, but we also need to be reasonable. And as one of our texters say, they do not deserve our fear. Well said. Appreciate the feedback at 204-780-6868. Still to come on Mackling and McGarry with guest host Tristan Field-Jones. At 2.30, we're going to visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, clinical psychologist, pays us his weekly visit at 2.30. We're going to talk about pet peeves. I'm really excited about this because when Tristan pitched this to me, he was very passionate. So I want to know what Tristan's pet peeves are, Mm -hmm. um, and I'll reveal some of my own. At 2 o'clock, Splatters Paintball is going to pay us a visit to talk about team-building exercises. We've actually got some... Blue Bombers have some cool videos on their website, bluebombers.com, that show their visits to Splatters this year as well as last year. Which And after watching the videos, I want to go back. Right. We went there, was it three years ago? Yeah, ago? it was three years ago for Halloween. It was fabulous. Yeah, it was neat. And we've been meaning to go back and seeing this as motivation to go back. After Global News at 1.30, we're going to be visited by Taz Stewart from Poolins. We're going to talk about orb weaver spiders. Yeah, and I think we'll have to mention a little bit about wasps too because everyone's enjoying their meal, so there's nothing better that goes along with your meal than talking about creepy crawlies. Yeah, well, you're, you've been swatting at a wasp or two here at Santa Lucia Pizza rooftop patio. Come join us. We're live on 680 CJOB. It's Tristan Field-Jones, and for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry joins us here. We're live on the patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. It's a beautiful day. It's been a pretty decent summer so far, but um, we're starting to see some of the creepy crawlies come out a little bit. Um, we have uh, one of our bug experts. I guess I know spiders aren't technically bugs, but yeah, it's uh, arachnids, of course. But, but uh, we have, uh, uh, I guess, creepy crawly expert Taz Stewart. He's uh, with uh, Poolin's Pest Control. Um, Taz, I noticed earlier this week. I park in an underground garage and I live uh, in a condo tower. And on Monday, I noticed uh, there were maybe five orb weaver spiders in there i did a little spider census today before going to work and there must be at least 50 of them uh why is it that we're starting and i've heard from a couple other people too they're really starting to notice those orb weavers uh come out why are they starting to come out around this time of year well they've been around all summer and they've laid eggs pardon me they've laid their eggs they've now have their young the young are getting bigger and now we're starting to recognize them as we get into fall you're really going to see some big orb weavers, and they make that large nest. Uh, they want to be catching as many insects, or you're going to find them in areas like a parking garage or near light or in a, in a corner where most insects are going to be flying naturally, and then, hey, there's dinner time and you're dead. How big are we talking? <laughs> How big are we talking? Yeah. Oh, easily three feet wide, yeah. easily, and that's that depends on where it is. And that's just bit. the spider, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, we had that talk already. We're not talking about that. No, we're talking your, your size toonie, you were yeah, mentioning. Right. Yes. What exactly, for those who are unfamiliar, what is an orb weaver spider, if you were to describe one? Describe one. has banded legs. Eight legs, of course, versus six. Makes the spider versus the insect. Clichere, okay. um, which everyone's always scared of. When you see an orb weaver, they have those, they look like fangs in the front. So everyone thinks they can bite and harm you their venom is very very weak and if they do bite they're, they're very timid spiders to humans they're more dangerous if you're a little insect on the web they're going <gasps> my god there's something coming right at me yeah <laughs> they're going to put them to sleep and then they suck the juices out and hey it's 
they're done. So they won't, they, they like, would have one of them bite you or bite Tristan if Tristan went after one of them in the parkade? Uh, I, I want him to go at night about midnight and piss a spider off. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that because, no. uh, frankly, I think... I think they get a bit of a bad rap. I know yes. a lot of people, there's a lot of arachnophobes out there, and yeah, they do look, you know, kind of terrifying, yeah, frankly. They're scary, and that's totally correct. They are a beneficial organism. They're actually getting rid of the few mosquitoes that might be out there and other pest uh, insects that are in your backyard or in your garden. W what do they mainly feed off of? What's their, what's their appetite of choice? <laughs> Whatever gets caught in their web and it's an insect. Oh, really? Yes. They're not picky. <laughs> They're not picky. Even a cockroach get in there, they'll feed on a cockroach. Wow. Yeah, yes. because I was thinking, if why why are there so many of them in an underground? There must garage. be some attractant that's I'm assuming the lights lighting system yeah. or something where all the insects are coming around. So they're not stupid. They're going to go to the place where the food source is easily attainable. So around lights and corners, edges where insects are going to be. Yeah, and I uh, I am a mild arachnophobe, and I I have this sort of tenuous relationship with spiders because every every so often I'll come home and I'll flick on a light. And I'll see a spider on the on the bedroom wall that it was just walking, and it kind of stops because it realizes, oh, I've been spotted. Somebody's here. And then uh, and then I freeze <laughs> because I, I they scare me, and I don't know what to do. And then I kind of just walk out of the room and say, if you, I'm going to let you live. Because oh, yeah. good man, good man. Because where there's spider, there are there's got to be other things. Something else, and that hey, I don't want to see. With you turning on the light, and you didn't see other things scurrying. That's even better. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, I would did, hope not. I once lived in a base in my buddy's uh, basement, and every day I saw centipedes, and uh, that was not. Lots of people don't like them, and millipedes as well. They're just they look like long snakes. I think and there's other snake people that are phobias of them too. So it's just you know, all-encompassing circle of fun. Yeah, I I, I hate them. So, <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, I'm, they, 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 they scare me more than uh, than the spiders do. So I would hope to see us. That's why I would let the spiders live down there. Yay, there's well. applause in the background. Well, if Now, if you do come across a spider on the bedroom wall uh, or, you know, anywhere where it shouldn't be, mm -hmm. now, besides squishing them, no. what is the best way to properly dispose of them without, you know, getting bitten or, you know, Best annoying? way, I take a cup, even a plastic cup, piece of paper, Cup on top, paper slide underneath, goes into the cup, out the outside, let it go outside. Way yeah. to go. Simple. There, you can keep them. Or, hey, you'd already said it. Yeah. Squish and go. <laughs> Your choice. They're I'd not endangered species by any means, I don't think, eh? Depends. There are some endangered spiders out there. Really? But, yes. Oh, yeah. So you don't want to kill them all. If you don't know what it is, ID it first and check it out. Google's good for lots of things, but, hey, make sure you know what you're killing before What you do kind it. of spiders uh, are endangered that would be in our community that you can think of? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm going to go, I'm sorry, I don't know that okay. off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I we realize we're kind of, kind of putting you on the spot with that one. Yep. Here's another one I wanted to ask you. As an entomologist, uh, someone who studies insects, and, and uh, you know, I know you, you like them. Uh, I remember describing a moth as ugly, and you said, well, hang on a second now. Uh, is it, you know, you work for Poulin's Pest Control. Um, are you ever at odds with yourself because you, uh, you know, you like these bugs and at the same time you're in the business of eradicating them? That's, there's my conundrum every day is, hey, I'd like to do it the safest way, the most environmentally friendly way, but at, at the end of the day, my customers or my clients are most important. They want it removed. We'll do it the proper way for you label directions and give the most humane way of removing that pest or pests. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you mentioned mosquitoes as well. Uh, that the spiders are feeding on the f the very few mosquitoes that we have. What 
why have we had so few mosquitoes this year? And I'm certainly not complaining. It's yeah. been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no complaints. <laughs> At the end of the day, we've had a very relatively dry summer, so no water equals no mosquitoes. The city has a great um, biological and microbial program. It's 100%, so they can keep on top of those sites that are out there. Their staff are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and, hey, homeowners know. Get rid of the water in your backyard. If you got anything, make sure it's being treated, looked at, dumped, filled, drained, you name it. You're not going to get any. I use my water glass analogy right here. Mm -hmm. You look at that one, that could produce a 1,000 mosquitoes if it was left unalone. How long would it take for that to happen? It's a nice warm day today. Literally five to seven days you'd see from egg to adult if there's enough organic matter in the really? water. Really? Yep. So if I've got like a wheelbarrow in the backyard or something and it rains and I don't deal with dumping that out, that can... If there's organic matter in it, it will be a mosquito site. Wow. Yes. Okay. So it's important. So those toys, cups, dr uh, cans, uh, especially lots of people like to collect rainwater in this city and I'm not sure why yet to this day, but they don't cover <laughs> yeah. it. And that's the important part. If it's covered, great. If it's not, you're just creating another site in your backyard, and those mosquitoes are going to be feeding on you. Okay. And I'm going to make another point, too, that people need to realize is Culex tarcellus is the vector for West Nile virus. Mm -hmm. They're the sneaky mosquito. You're not going to feed them. I mean, feel them bite you when other mosquitoes, the, the normal 80s vaccines, very strong bite. You need to still be wearing repellent. Uh, they're active at dusk and dawn, so even though it's after the sort of August 15th, those older Female mosquitoes are more dangerous because they're carrying the virus in them. So there are positive pools in Winnipeg and southern Manitoba, so it's important everyone protects himself. We were talking earlier just uh, about uh, the orb weaver spiders, and we sort of touched on this a little bit. Uh, I'd be curious to know, you mentioned they are great engineers, and their webs are, especially about in when there's morning dew, beautiful to, to, to see. Uh, photograph and to, yeah. and to see. How do they come up with such intricate designs? I, I believe it's actually built into their DNA. To say, hey, this is what I want. This is the best system over millions of years of evolution. This is how we catch the most insects. I'm going to survive. Mendelian genetics area, uh, the survival of the fittest. And how, how do they know what what are the best locations to build that web, like structurally, I guess? Well, they see, hey, there's a light source. I'm looking for night-attracted insects. My web's going to be in front of it. That moth or other insect goes, hey, there's that shiny light I can't stop myself going to, gets trapped by that web. It's awesome. Did we ever figure out, by the way, why it is moths and insects are so attracted to to lights? I, I mean, that seems to be one of the things where you look at night and you can always see where all the insects are always around that street light. But it, it's why is that? Midges, mosquitoes, and moths are usually light attracted, and they're, they just can't resist it. That's the best way to say it. It's a source. I'm going, hey, there's going to be friends over there, and let's talk. It's a party. <laughs> so it's, it's basically a bar for mosquitoes yeah, so, yeah, and moths. Yeah, there you are. Per perfect. I like that. <laughs> On the subject of moths, why... Uh, are, are, they seem to be more active at night. Is that my imagination, or is no? That's a fact. Butterflies are day active ones. You, uh, if you had a moth in your hand, you get those scales. You had a butterfly in your hand, you don't get the scales. We, we can play, you know, the, the game. What's the difference between moths and uh, moths and butterflies, if you like? For your viewers, want to know this? Oh yeah, I, I want to help. Yeah. All right, yeah, so, I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> so yeah, day active. Uh, butterflies, their wings, they'll go up above their backs. Moths, they can't. Moths are very dull. Butterflies are very colorful and pretty. Don't get me get me wrong. There's some beautiful moths too. Uh, the Polyphemus moth. It's a beautiful. Looks like big eyes on its uh, its wings. And yep. yeah, look it up there, uh, listeners. It's a fun fun moth. And there's lots of them here in the city. Luna moth is another one. Huge. That uh, whitish blue color. Long legs. Tiger tiger swallowtails. Another beautiful uh, butterfly. Like I'm. I, I don't kill those, but I like them. Do moths? <laughs> uh, can they? Do they? flap their wings faster than butterflies? Yeah. Is that they, why they freak people out? Yes, and that's the problem. you got the fluff and the, the 
the dust from their wings or the scales and then people go oh my god what is this and you know it's a moth they also have big fuzzy antenna whereas a butterfly nice thin antennae so hey, there you are there's a little butterfly moth lesson yeah, well, we appre- you know, I'm, I'm, it's just sort of, we brought you in to talk about one specific thing, but we appreciate uh, yeah. just kind of <laughs> the, gen- the general curio- curious discussion about insects. Tristan, I keep derailing your orb weaver question. Did no, you no, that's okay. Or, I think I've asked questions? as many as I can because yeah. I was, um, and, and at, as, as we head towards fall, because I remember around last time this year, or sorry, excuse me, let me try that again. Around this time last year, Friday afternoon, um, we we did a story uh, with you about how a lot of people were reporting these orb weaver spiders. Yep. So we're going to keep seeing these. We're going to no, I should say, notice them more and more as we head towards September and October. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's just like the wasps as well. As we're getting further into the fall season, I hate saying that word because we're still in August, but right. it's coming. Uh, you're going to get more times on the deck. You're seeing the wasp flying around your pizza there from Santa Lucia, which I think I might have a bite after. That's, <laughs> that's allowed. Um, you're going to see them. They're looking for the carbohydrates, the sugars, which now their flowers are starting to disappear. So they're right. looking for alternative food sources, and that's why wasps become a real pain in the butt. We'll get into more of that in a moment. We're going to pause the conversation with Taz Stewart. He came over to visit us. We're at Santa Lucia Pizza, the rooftop patio on St. Mary's Road, and Poulin's Pest Control is right next door, and he is an entomologist and, I uh, believe, Director of Technical Operations. Is that yeah. your title? Have yeah, I got that, that right? I'm the guy who's supposed to know everything about everything. Everything about everything. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, <laughs> we'll, te- we'll continue to test his knowledge on that after we look at your forecast. It is... Mackling and McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones, Rooftop Patio, Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. Your forecast is up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones, Rooftop Patio at Santa Lucia Pizza, Patio Palooza has resumed for today. Just want to give a heads up that Kathleen Mira is the winner for today's $100 tab. We've had this contest up at cjob.com throughout Patio Palooza. Kathleen Mira won today's $100 tab. Kathleen, if you're on your way here, make sure you come say hi to us. And Ron Kozuzek has been selected as the winner for next week. So, Ron, congratulations. Hopefully we pronounce your name correctly. Uh, but if not, you can tell us next week when you come say hello. We are saying hello to Taz Stewart, who is an entomologist with Poulin's Pest Control. They're right next door to Santa Lucia here. And uh, we started the conversation, Tristan, talking about these orb weaver spiders that you're seeing in your underground Mm. garage at your condo. And uh, you made the comment, have we turned off enough people from their lunch? (laughs) But, you know, I mean, Winnipeggers love talking about bugs because we run a, you know, our season is so short, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. And we start off with the canker worms and the forest tent caterpillars. Yep. Um, which, by the way, the forest tent caterpillars, Taz, is, was this the the second year of the three-year peak, or is that come and gone for us already? All right. So for the province of Manitoba, outside of Winnipeg, I say we are finished. The third-year peak is done inside the city, but outside the city, last uh, this summer was a huge number. I was driving down Highway 59 as an example. All those aspen trees stripped all forest tent caterpillars. So really, it was insane how much damage was out there. And when you start seeing the caterpillars crossing the highway, that's a problem. That that means you're in a peak year. Wow. So next year it's going to be not as bad. It, <laughs> I'd like to say yes, but it depends. Okay. There, there's natural predators to forest tent caterpillar. We've seen a natural decline here in the city. We're on that three years. Sometimes you can have little hot spots, and that happens. But where the western edge is, I would say. Uh, Western Manitoba into Saskatchewan. We're seeing probably they're getting get the third year peak, and they're going to see a lot more forest tent caterpillars there. Whereas our numbers will be dwindling. We're not going to see none, but there'll be fewer. 
Why does that? Why is it uh, a three-year cycle? Like, it, where do they go in in once the cycle is complete? Mother Nature takes care of herself. Uh, they get the peak, and then the natural predators to them knock them down. Uh, the egg masses are laid on trees. If it's an extra cold winter, you may have more natural die off that way. And that looks like a piece of poop on a stick. If you want a descriptor <laughs> for uh, what forest tent caterpillar egg masses look like, it's an effective descriptor. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. But it, you, when the leaves are gone, you'll see these little chunkers. It looks like a shiny black gray diamond poop. Yep, oh, okay. <laughs> I got no better word for it. Yes, so if you see those, prune them out, and you're actually reducing the number of forest tent caterpillars larvae emerging next year. Okay. Yep. And uh, Tristan, you wanted to talk to him about wasps a well, little yep, more? Well, yeah, we've noticed, uh, talking about how we've noticed more orb weaver spiders, the wasps are getting pretty bad too around this time of year. I think that's pretty typical for late August and September. Yeah. Now, before we get to that, I need some clarification here because I've heard of wasps, yellow jackets, and hornets. <laughs> is there any difference, or is that just three names for the same insect? All right, wasp is the general term for both the yellow and black yellow jacket, and then there's a black and white uh, wasp as well. Uh, it has an old name. It's called a bald-faced hornet, and people think we have hornets. It's actually a wasp. So consequently, it's a fuzzy face versus a non-fuzzy face. And I call the black and white ones jerks because that's the one who stung me this year. And uh, I haven't been stung in 20 years, so I'm wow. a little pissed off about it. And I was just standing there doing nothing. That's why it's they're jerks. They, why, do they, why are they so aggressive? I mean, bees, generally speaking, you really have to get on their nerves to get them. But wasps, they just go right after you. All right. So I see your pizza there again, which I'm still having a piece. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, it says, hey, sun... Sun's getting lower in the uh, the skyline. Days are getting shorter. Uh oh, my flowers are gone. I need those carbohydrates, those sugars. So hey, I'm gonna take it back to the nest. I'm gonna tell my other friends they're gonna come out. Oh geez, you flipped your arm or freaked out. Bang, you're gonna get stung. And wasps can sting, sting you multiple times, meaning they have no barb on there. So, and yes, I'm pointing at myself getting stung, and no one can see that except for you guys. Right. Uh, yes. Um, but they don't have a barb. Whereas the bee. If it does sting you, it gets the alarm pheromone and says, oh my god, our nest is in, our hive is in trouble. They actually put a barb in there and it sticks there and the venom sacs will continually inject more venom into your body unless you pull it out. Whereas a wasp can nail you multiple times. So, pain in the ass. I call them jerks and the nice bumblebees leave them alone. Yeah, the wasps are, are, are not... Uh... And there's a wasp flying around my pop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, He's enjoying a, a, a pop on the patio. <laughs> so... Uh... <coughs> Why do they like the, uh, or actually, have you, do you know of anybody who's ever taken a swig of a beverage? Yes. And, then and that's the thing, when you have a can of Coke or a can of Pepsi or even root beer, orange, orange pop, look inside the can, because a wasp will sneak in there, you won't even see it, you drink it, they'll sting your mouth. And oh. Yes, there's actually, somebody had died recently in the city from a bunch of uh, wasp stings because they were anaphylactic shock and they died from it. Oh boy. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's scary. Uh, it's brutal, and that's the reality of... If you don't have an EpiPen or have the protection, you need to know that and should have one. Any final questions before we let Taz go, Tristan? Oh, after that image, I... Um, we should talk trapping. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what to say yes. after that. That's, no, that's a good tip, though. Just look yes. inside your drink. I am paranoid about that yeah. now. So Always take a peek first, and if yeah. you want, if you're on your back deck, you don't know where the nest is, there are traps. Uh, you can make your own. If you want to take a two-liter bottle, cut the top off, fill it with a root beer or a very smelly, sugary substance invert the top of it, tape it, throw it in the back corner. You don't want it to be beside you. Yeah. You want to attract them farther away from your nest. And, of course, we do have pheromone-based wasp traps. And if you want us to come out, we can, of course, uh, control your problem, too. Is root beer the best 
way to go. I, I found it has been, but I like the pheromone-based uh, wasp uh, attractant bags as well. They're great. Okay. Yep. What's your website for Poolins? Poolins.ca. Poolins.ca? Yep. That's easy. Yep. Your phone number? Well, come on. I've got to know the jingle already. 233-2500, and yeah, no fooling with pooling. There you are. <laughs> He's right. I should know that. Right. Yeah, yeah to, play it, to play it often enough, and it's just it's so two, three, three, two. Yeah. I didn't want to sing it because I don't sing. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, well done. Uh, you reminded me of the jingle. So, Taz, thanks for paying us a visit. We appreciate it. I learned Thank a you. lot today. Holy moly. Yeah. Educational. Taz Stewart, Director of Technical Operations, Entomologist with Poolins Pest Control. Again, Poolins.ca is the website. We're going to have a look at cottage country weather up next. More it's like right now. Oh, I thought I was doing this. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tristan. For Interlake Real Estate, Manitoba's playground is the Interlake. Interlake Real Estate is your full-time professional real estate sales team. Visit interlake.mb.ca for listings. What are we looking at? It looks like a beautiful weekend, actually. Today, a mix of sun and cloud. There's a slight chance of showers late in the afternoon with a risk of thunderstorms. This is for the Interlake, Grand Beach, and Whiteshell area. Clearing tonight, low of 13. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 30. For Sunday, sunny, a high of 26. Looks like wonderful beach and or boating weather. That's your Cottage Country forecast on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. We are live at Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. Patio Palooza continues and we are going to talk now about paintball because if you need a new team building exercise for your business for your team uh they they these guys know what they're doing because they've been working with the winnipeg blue bombers uh, for a few years now you can actually go to the blue bombers website bluebombers.com and see videos that they've put together of their visits to splatters paintball and where you get to see their amazing park tristan and i have had the pleasure of heading out there we were there what october i want to say three years ago yeah now? 2014 it was uh, yeah it was a few years it was us several of our other colleagues um it was a blast and that was the first time that i ever been paintballing and i'd I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I absolutely loved it. So Splatters, first of all, we'll, we'll introduce our guest. Pardon me. Evan Schrader is the general manager of Splatters Paintball, and Austin Nervous is the marketing manager for Splatters. Where is Splatters Paintball? Evan. We're 20 minutes south of Winnipeg in New Bothell, which is right by the Bothell Cheese Plant. Okay. What highway would you take to get there? 59 south. So okay. Lodge Modier, head out of the city 20 minutes past the perimeter. And what's your website? Splatterspaintball.com. So... Why, how did you come up with an idea to, to promote your business as a place for team building? We started Splatters with the idea that it would be a birthday party and stag place. That's typically the groups that would look for this type of activity. Um, but the nature of paintball is to have two large groups of people. It's not like golf where you're split up into foursomes and everybody's apart for the day. You're now forced to see everybody in your group, whether it's from the front of the barrel or the back of the barrel. And so... As you play against the other team, you create stories amongst teammates of being uh, successful in your, your teamwork, but you also have uh, a story with the other person on the other team of either you were shot from or you shot them. And so the team building aspect really happens off the field. When you're done playing, you go back to the side, you're now chatting about who shot who, who did this amazing thing. It creates camaraderie without you knowing it with both your team and the opponent's team. How did the partnership with the Bombers start? We've done a lot of uh, team building for younger uh, hockey teams, football teams, uh, lots of wind-ups. And uh, when we approached the Bombers, we said, we think this would be a good idea for you guys. What can we do to make it work 
uh, on both sides. And the Bombers are very clear that they wanted to have an event with nobody around. It's just the Bombers players and our staff. Any video, any media taken had to go through their office to make sure that they could play and do and say what they wanted to do before the public got to see it. That had uh, the best chance of the players becoming better teammates off the field, uh, being who they were, not having their game face on, not doing the media thing, just talking like teammates and friends. And so after the first year, and it went really well, the coaches came back and said, we want to have that every spring. And it's been a great partnership since. How long has that been going? This is our third year. So and the videos that are on their website, are they on your website as well? That We've you know? shared them, we've posted them, but it's a Bombers production. So. Okay. Yeah. No, it looks like a lot of fun, and uh, you can see the excitement on their faces and their voices when they, oh, he shot me, he, we shot him like seven times, he was saying mercy, but we just kept shooting him. <laughs> uh, they had they had no regard for uh, structure of the game, they just wanted to get out there and have fun. <laughs> and you can see it, I mean, those guys are big and they work hard, but when they're having fun, they have a lot of fun. Did you have to remind them that this isn't football and tackling isn't part of paintball? <laughs> yeah. or? When they have a gun, I think they all understand, <laughs> just point and shoot. And yeah. Yeah, don't stop till they're running the opposite direction. Well, that and that's very fun. That's one of the things too, because you know when we all went to uh, Splatters Paintball as a group, uh, it's the stories that come out of that. You know, you think of the time when I, I was uh, covering for my friend who had to run to this obstacle to get uh, one of those was kind of uh, yet to capture. Um, I remember one game was yet to capture water bottles, if I'm not mistaken, that had glow-in-the-dark stuff in them. You had to bring it back to your base, and just the stories that come out of this are uh, almost you almost feel like a war vet kind of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the other teamwork aspect of it as well is there's the stories that come out of it, but then there's also the in-game teamwork where you have to work together as a team and get people, like, tell people where people are and, and just get your team organized so you can go achieve that objective for sure. So it's a lot of objective-based stuff like that that uh, you do end up building teamwork through that. So, Austin, then do you get a lot of people coming in, a lot of businesses who have contacted you trying to, to have these team-building exercises? Yeah, yeah, we get a lot of corporate clients for sure. And uh, we're working on putting together a corporate package as well, where we do have those structured games, more focused on that, and we have catering options and everything. It's just completely focused on building the relationship on the field and off the field. Are there any stories you can share uh, when it comes to some team building exercises? Well, leaving people out of this, of mm -hmm. course, but any stories uh, that were, ended up really well or some of them that didn't quite go exactly as planned? Is there anything you can share in that? Because I'd be I'm fascinated to know how, how, how this uh, plays out. Well, last summer was our first year having the Moxies and Shark Club group out as a full day activity. And so they planned uh, a morning arrival. They played paintball afternoon. The plan was to play volleyball in the evening, have a, a wiener roast, have some wally plops, just enjoy the evening. The next morning when they'd stayed over for night, the next morning they'd have a big breakfast. I mean, there are lots of chefs and people who love making food. Uh, well, it ended up pouring all night, absolutely pouring. Ooh. And so all their tents that were set up were just getting drenched. We have indoor staging area, so they all brought their tents inside, um, and everything was wet by that point. Hey, Rent. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those days where everything that could go wrong weather-wise did, and yet they had a blast. We played beer pong inside the straw. <laughs> I mean, it was just a great time. So, yeah, I mean, weather is a part of it, but when you're out to have fun and you know you're, you're going to get dirty... The, the rain is a bit of a turn, but not really a, a heartbreaker. When I first arrived, uh, or first went into the, the park and realized how big it is and all the stuff that's in it, I was completely blown away because the first time I had went, I've only done paintball twice. The first time it was all inflatables, which was cool. Uh, but then when I went into your park, I felt like I had walked into an apocalypse, which I, was cool because it made it feel surreal and, and realistic.
so how would you describe the park for someone who is trying to picture it? We bought a 40-acre property in the country, so we'd have room. Room to grow, room to have run, space to run, that kind of thing. So when you come on the yard, it's, uh, it's an old farm site, an old hog site. So there's some barns that we've completely renovated. There's a huge fire pit area, which is kind of the key of the heart of uh, the, the team building. But when you get out to the fields, you realize we have 20 acres of fields spread everywhere. Um, the urban field is lots of buildings, cars, something you'd see on a back lane uh, here in Winnipeg. Um, we have a three-story castle now, so you can attack the castle, have big turrets and dungeons. Uh, the helicopter field, we have a 50-foot-long helicopter. It's 12 feet wide. It's just a huge behemoth. Um, it gives kids the opportunity to play in a Call of Duty world that they're used to seeing online. It gives us adults an ability to, to do something that we know is kiddish and, and is yet so much fun. To also play in a Call of Duty world. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Do uh, you ever fall, get any criticism from people saying, you know, you're promoting, you're promoting guns or anything like that? We knew it would be a tough go in the Steinbeck market, um, but no, we've never presented it as a military knockoff or a replica or a reincarnation of war. Uh, we play paintball, which is a game where you shoot each other, more like uh, tag. Um, we're not making any qualms about it. We want you to go out there, have fun, take a risk, get shot, come back, high five, good job. It's a team building thing. It's not serious. And I think that completely changes the way people perceive it as they've started to play it. Well, one of the things that was kind of surprising to me, uh, again, when I did, uh, did that the first time, was how easy the paint washes off. I mean, I've heard horror stories of people going to paintball areas and, you know, their uh, once good jacket was totally ruined because the paint simply wouldn't come off. But I remember just putting the clothes in the washer and dryer and a regular load and it completely washed off. So what are what are the ingredients you guys use in there? Uh, so yeah, the people are often disappointed we don't offer coveralls because they think that the paint will stain like you said, but that's, yeah, it totally washes out as long as you don't leave your clothes in the heat for two weeks or whatever. So uh, we also offer vests for people that if they get shot in the chest, it's less likely to break on them and, and get on their clothes. Uh, we just wash it with normal dish soap. Like you can just wash it with normal uh, Tide dish soap and you'll be fine. It's no special ingredients to washing the paint out at all. The paintballs themselves are made with vegetable oil and so they're made to biodegrade very quickly and so when you shoot them out of your gun and it either breaks on a building or rolls along the ground and it's still in a ball form, as soon as the dew comes out the next morning all those uh, shells shrivel, or sorry, expand and break and the stuff just washes in the ground. So it's made to biodegrade. In fact, if it didn't, our park would look <laughs> disgusting and sticky by now. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. We're shooting just about a quarter million paintballs a weekend on average. So that's a lot of paint over the course of a month, a million dollars, a million and a half balls a month. That would be pretty gross pretty quick. So we're <laughs> thankful for the dew and the rain. Yeah. The, sh what it's yeah. the shells are made of vegetable oil? Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is biodegradable. It's fantastic. That's pretty cool. Now, they used to stain. That was years ago, 15, 20 years ago. In the last 10 years, nothing in the market is, is staining, and it's much better for the user who's got to go home and clean up. Austin, where do you guys get the stuff that is in the yard? Uh, I remember... Uh, like a sc old school buses and right, old yeah. cars and, uh, you know, where do you get all that stuff? Well, people just uh, come play and they'll see the way our yard is set up and they'll just have something lying around their yard and they'll say, hey, want this? And we're like, yep. So we'll get giant wire spools or old cars that people have or the buses or even the helicopter. Like those are mostly people that just contacted us and had something that they thought would be great for our park and we agreed. So we got it out. And somebody dropped off a boat recently? <laughs> yeah, last week somebody called up and said, hey, do you want a boat? And we're like, I'm not sure. Send me a picture. <laughs> so a couple of days later, he dropped it off in the yard. It's a 18-foot fiberglass boat. 
and I had seen some ideas online. I was looking to get a sandbox in for the kids, something the young guys can do when their their siblings are playing. So we buried the boat in the ground about two feet. We're putting sand in there. It'll be a great little sandbox for the you know <laughs> under seven year olds to play while their siblings are out playing paintball. You converted a boat into a sandbox. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. ingenious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it goes with our. Uh, we have a full play structure as well and swings and stuff. So there's a whole play structure area. So it really goes with that for our amenities there at Splatters. So. What's your website, by the way? SplattersPaintball.com. We're going to continue the conversation with our guests from Splatters Paintball. We have Evan Schrader, who is the general manager, and Austin Nervous, who is the marketing manager of Splatters Paintball. We're talking about team building exercises. They've been working with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers now for three years. You can go to the Bomber website to see the videos that they put together, which showcase the park in a spectacular fashion. And we want to talk about some more of our experiences there when we paid them a visit mm -hmm. three years ago. We will continue this chat. From Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road, we're on the rooftop patio. Feel free to come say hi. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones, rooftop patio, Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. It is a lovely day. You should come say hi to us and have some delicious Santa Lucia Pizza. we got a couple of guys to come say hi to us right now. Evan Schrader is the general manager, and Austin Nervous is the marketing manager. At Splatters Paintball, they are wanting to let you know that they are a great place for team building exercises. Uh, they've been working with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for three years. You can go to Blue Bombers website to see those videos on the Splatters Paintball. And uh, Austin, Mike, just uh, our engineer Mike here just asked you a great question, so I mm -hmm. want to make sure we ask it on the air. Is there a minimum age, like if you want to just go with your family to Splatters Paintball, is there a minimum age? Yeah, so this, this year we started offering low impact paintball. And that is good for ages 7 and up. Typically ages 7 to 12 are using it. And then our standard paintball is ages 10 and up. But the difference between the two is that low impact uses a smaller caliber paintball. So it's a smaller paintball. As well as the guns shoot a less uh, feet per second. So they don't shoot as far or fast. So it's just perfect for those players that are a little more timid. And uh, so that they can move up the field and still have the same experience of those people using uh, the standard paintball guns. So it's 7 and up. Is it in the same park or do you have a sort of a cordoned off area for that? Yeah, so we have five separated fields at Splatters that you might remember, and uh, the low-impact groups have to use a separate field from the standard players, obviously, because uh, that's how we keep them separate, so they're not getting shot by the standard guns. Yep. But uh, we do keep the low-impact groups separate, so... Mm -hmm. What are some of the rules when you're out on the field? Because I remember when when myself and Brett and a few of us went uh, a few years ago, uh, there were a few a few rules, and frankly, I can't remember <laughs> what they are. So, what are rules, or, or maybe just some common courtesy, if you will, if you were uh, when you're out playing? Well, the primary rules at Splatters Paintball is to, uh, we get we provide a mask, and you have to keep this mask on at all times when you're on the field. So we have refs on the field that are watching for this and making sure because it's very dangerous to lift your mask up on the field as you can get shot in the face with a paintball gun. Uh, the second major rule would be coming out of the, you, we provide a barrel bag to go over the end of the gun. And then uh, some other major rules, there's a 10 foot mercy rule on all the fields except for we have one close quarters field which uh, we don't enforce the mercy rule. And um, 10 foot mercy rule. Yeah, so 10 feet, 10 steps. So so I don't, I'm not shooting somebody point blank, is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. So if you sneak up behind someone, instead of shooting them from two feet away, you just yell mercy really loud, and they'll call themselves out, walk off the field, and no one gets shot from too close. Uh, if you're a gamer, it's kind of like knifing somebody. It's that yeah, embarrassment yeah. of, I got so close and you didn't see me coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then you throw the controller down and then you scream for mom and say, this isn't fair. And that's yeah. how we break I our guns. I want to redo. Yeah. <laughs> Where do, one of the things that, that blew me away was the, because we went, you, uh, 
it was like this this Halloween sort of themed event, and it was at night, so it was really cool. So like a lot of your regulars were there, and I couldn't believe the gear these guys had. They had shotguns and Uzis and anything you can imagine that could fire a paintball. They had it. Where does one buy that kind of stuff? So the night game makes sense. Uh, typically, Sunday afternoons are rec league days. So those are the regular guys who come out. And if you bring your own gun, everybody's intimidated. It doesn't matter if you know how to use it or not. Everybody's like, oh, that guy must be pro. <laughs> and so we put them all in a group, and it allows them to play against other guys who have more skill, and they're not intimidated by each other. The night game is separate. That's a fantastic event. This year, it's in early October. We have can fire come out and shoot fireworks off while we're playing. So you get a glow stick on your gun. That way you can see where the gun is pointing. You have a glow stick around your neck so you can see where the person's body is. And that's it. Otherwise, it's pretty much pitch black. And all of a sudden, you have fireworks going off. Four, five, six, seven, eight-inch shells. It feels, it sounds like you're in a, a real war zone. Your heart's pumping because you, A, can't see much. B, you're getting shot at. And now, C, there's this loud banging. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all about getting that atmosphere of, of challenging people and, and making them really really stick their head out to have some fun. Oh, I seem to also remember on top of the fireworks, you guys had this massive, uh, I can't remember what you call it, you had a cool name for it, but it was this huge fireball. Dragon's Breath. Dragon's, Dragon's Breath, breath. Yes. I knew there was dragon something in <laughs> yeah. there. It goes woof and you feel the heat wave, right? And yeah. it's just fantastic. Yeah, it was. you, you guys put on uh, a truly amazing show. It was quite the experience. Where to, If I were to wanted to go out and buy my own paintball stuff, where do I do that? Interesting like you a, say like a that. Gun. Um, Badlands Paintball's on Pemina Highway, and they're closing in a couple weeks. Okay. Uh, Paintball Paradise has a store up at their field on Prest, north of Winnipeg. Um, but those are the only two places right now. We're looking at putting a store in Winnipeg. We're not sure how that's going to go. I've never been in the retail market yet. Uh, but we know that there's a need for people to buy equipment and get their equipment teched. So we're looking at it. What's your advice for people who are trying this out for the first time? Because... You know, when I first went a few years ago, first time, and I was frankly quite nervous because I didn't know what to expect. I kind of did, at the end, hope and expect it would be fun and it was a blast. But what would you be your advice for people who've never done something like this before? So, uh, one of people, like a big hang-up for people trying paintball is they're kind of afraid of the pain of the paintball. So, uh, what I would recommend is wearing looser-fitting, baggier clothes. And also just trying to get the mentality that it's it doesn't hurt that bad. Ten-year-old kids are doing it. The less you think about the pain the less it's going to hurt because you'll be, you won't be as tensed up and you're going to have fun. So um, just go out, try to have fun. Don't think about it. When you get shot, laugh it off. Like That's what I'd say is just trying to have that chill mentality where uh, you're not tensed up and then it will hurt more for you. So. Paintball has a bigger uh, bite than it has, a, or a bigger <laughs> bark than it has a bite. And so if you are got up in the morning, you're walking to the kitchen, you stub your toe, that's like the worst that you'll right. ever get shot in paintball. And it does hurt the worst ones, for two to five minutes. After that, you hardly feel it, literally. But the anxiety is what really makes it a killer. Now, you always see the pictures of the guys with welts all over their bodies. That's typically a stag party where somebody wanted to be stupid on purpose. They wanted <laughs> the badges <laughs> of honor to show off. And uh, it happens to two or three people a weekend that do it on purpose. The average person comes to paintball, leaves playing paintball uh, with one or two welts, usually on their arms, and that's because they're wearing a t-shirt. There's really not much. And when you come out and you see, there's this 12-year-old group of girls who just went out for a birthday party. Why am I nervous? <laughs> you know, it, it changes the perspective. 
but all you hear before you come is the the people trying to psych you out and say, oh man, you're going to get destroyed. Yeah. And you get there and you realize, this looks like a lot of fun, and you try it, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, and it doesn't help when you see all the professional equipment. <laughs> I know you guys were saying you don't want to make this a military-like thing, but man, some of the gu guns that people bring there, it's tough to imagine it not being almost a little bit militarily military-like. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of say it's, it's comparable to golf. You can go to a golf course, you can rent a bag of clubs, and you'll hit a horrible round, and it's a lot of fun. The next person comes with a super expensive set of clubs, has no idea how to use them, and they have a horrible time. You know, clubs don't make your, your event, but the, the expensive clubs really make you like, I don't want to play with that guy because I'm going to slow him down, and I'm going to you know, waste his time. And, but if, if you're out there to have fun, it's going to be a blast. Website once again? SplattersPaintball.com. Evan Schrader is the general manager. Austin Nervous is the marketing manager. It really is a great time. And when, once again, when is the night game happening? Early October? Early October. And then we usually close by the middle of November, just after Halloween. The night, If you want to try something cool, the night game is yeah. a blast. Splatters Paintball is where you can find it in New Bothwell. Evan and Austin, thanks for coming down to see us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate thanks. the time. Global News at 2.30 is up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. We are at Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. We are on the rooftop patio. This has become my favorite place of the summer. Got to pass on a traffic tip. Henderson northbound at Gilmore. It's down to one lane. So northbound Henderson at Gilmore, down to one lane. Can't tell you which lane, unfortunately. Not entirely sure, and I don't know exactly what's going on, but that is the traffic tip that was called into us at 204-780-6868. So we thank you for that tip, and we thank Dr. Cyrus for paying us his weekly visit. He is a clinical psychologist, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, his name, the website drcyrus.com. Hey, Dr. Cyrus. Hello. Hello. It's good to be here. It's always beautiful up here. That's for sure. Brett, uh, would you say uh, bad driving habits are one of your pet peeves? <laughs> I wouldn't say bad driving habit is a pet peeve. It's more of a, a fear whenever I get into the automobile with you. You uh, you, you uh, subscribe to the Richard Cloutier school of driving, which is uh, like a maniac. But uh -huh. I appreciate that you drove me here today, so thank you. Right. <laughs> I, th I am Tristan's pet peeve. Okay. I think that, yes, okay. he is my pet he, peeve. I think he wanted. That's because why he I cannot do anything in my car correctly, according <laughs> to this man we call this troll man we call. Brett that's McGarry. not what I said. So anyway, anyway he, that is exactly what you said. So I'm here to talk about <laughs> pet peeves. Um, I want to explain to you situation, uh, Dr. Cyrus, and mm -hmm. I know Brett, you've got a couple of your pet peeves too. I think I know one of them, but I'll I'll let oh, you explain that. I'm curious. Um, let me just give you just an instance, right? So. Mm -hmm. I have, I've, uh, I am a musician. I've been interested in music my entire life. Okay. And I have very strong opinions about what type of music I think is very good. One of my pet peeves is when people, and, and this, these could be very nice people. I may have just, I probably just met them. When they'll praise or they'll talk about a, what I think is a really crappy pop song. It drives me absolutely up the wall. Mm-hmm. And these could be the nicest people in the world. <laughs> but all of a sudden you hate them. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, what's wrong with me? Um, and second of all, why, when it comes to pet peeves, do we have such an intense reaction to something that means absolutely nothing, really? Okay, well, I mean, you, you set me up for this. You kind of sent this to me beforehand, and, and so I'm ready for you. And uh, <laughs> Good. Because I had to kind of put this in another context. It was a little bit challenging to find the word for it. Because, I mean, for me, a pet peeve is kind of a... Intolerance. I don't know if you guys maybe see it that way, but 
Well, that was kind of the, the word that came to me eventually as I was thinking about this. But a pet peeve kind of is an admittal that it's uh, irrational. Like it's kind of this intolerance of other people or, or something, knowing that that's not really legitimate. It's like, it's, I shouldn't really be intolerant of these people who have, you know, different musical tastes from me, but I really do. And it affects me intensely. So when you actually think about, you know, what a pet peeve is, or at least in this case, what you're describing, it's really kind of goes to a lot of research about intolerance and racism and <laughs> this kind of research. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Wait a minute. You gave me the situation, so let's continue to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> boy, Cyrus. It's always dangerous to kind of self-reveal when you're going to... <laughs> Um, but generally speaking, when you when you uh, when you have a pet peeve like what you're describing here, it's kind of a it's it's a threatening thing for some reason. And we can discuss if you'd like why you're threatened by this. But you know, like it's a threatening experience, and getting upset is actually a way to soothe yourself. It's actually I mean I think it was last time we were talking about uh, you know self-defense you know mechanisms and uh, you know anger is one of them and so it's a kind of a way of soothing yourself by eliminating the threat you know they're silly they're ridiculous this person is uh, you know um, well they don't know anything about music so now their threat of me is less and so it's kind of a way of numbing yourself of of of, uh, of recovering your your self-esteem kind of in that situation so there you go so do do pet peeves then indicate perhaps a, a level of snobbery? Yes, I mean, potentially. One of the things about categorizing other people and stereotyping other people and, and, uh, and getting angry with other people is a way of building yourself up. And uh, so snobbery kind of in the sense of coming from lower self-esteem. So, you know, it would be kind of this, it wouldn't be like I'm better than you. It would be more like I don't feel great. So now I'm going to use this to feel better than you. So it's kind of a, it might, it, it, you know, the first impression might be that you're feeling better than other people, but really deep down you're not. And that's why you're doing this. But there, there are also instances, for like, for example, my pet peeves tend to be more uh, just that Tristan's very clearly deeply rooted in, in uh, <laughs> Careful. A, almost a violent <laughs> tendency. Careful. Um, <clears throat> but like, for example, when, when people say, oh, shut the front door. Right, right. That one, it, it, it instantly, I, like, it makes my blood boil, and I don't know why, but it, it just, it irritates me to my core. So, so wait, shut the front door. Are you talking about, like, let the cold, letting No, like, like when people say, shut the front door, instead of shut the oh, something else. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So they're, they're using like telling you to be, telling you to be, okay. Yeah, like, like be instead, of, instead of STFU, right, they're right. saying shut the front door, <laughs> STFD. Um, so are you upset with the fact that they're telling you to be quiet, or are you upset with the fact that they're not using the, the swear word, or like? I don't know. Well, no. Then it's there when they when when it's used, it's it's more of a like when someone says something that they don't believe. So okay. It's, like if Tristan were to say something to me like, you know, I climbed a mountain today, I would say, oh, shut the front door, right? Because right. it's uh, you know, it's <laughs> okay. more of an ex expression of, I don't, I don't oh, believe. Come you. on. Right, right. Um, and when people say that to you, you don't like it. Yeah, I don't, and I don't really understand why. I just find it annoying, and uh, and it well, sets off this reaction within my whole body. I can just feel it. So where does I that mean, come from? Is that from? just coming from this idea that people aren't believing you? Like, are you saying something that that justifies a shut the No, it's door? the actual, it's the use of that particular that expression. Phrase. That, yeah, phrase that phrase annoys you. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, there's lots of, of, of strange triggers that we have 
Um, I don't know if you guys know about classical conditioning or things like this. You know, mm -hmm. you ring the bell, you you know, electrocute somebody or whatever, and all of a sudden... Pavlov's you, you, dog, I yeah, believe. Yeah, that, right? yeah, I mean, you can come up with any combo. But basically, you take something awful and you pair it with something that's benign, and all of a sudden, you don't like the benign thing. You know, like, I don't like bells now because I got electrocuted ten times when I was hearing bells. So, you know, uh, I don't know... That, that could easily happen with negative expressions. There's a lot of expressions in our society that used to be like technical language. I don't know, like uh, moron or something like that. That used to be a, a, t a clinical term, I think. And now, because it's been paired with these negative experiences so often, it's become something that's a trigger for people. So I don't know, maybe that's it. It's kind of paired with all these negative times when this has happened, and now you react. Yeah, maybe, and uh, or maybe I'm just a snob as well, uh, because <laughs> I I also hate uh, another pet peeve of mine is the is when people use the word. The word literally is okay. overused. I, I knew that one. That was okay. I didn't want to mention okay. that one, but I yeah. knew that is well, what it is. Well, I mean, this could be, again, the same kind of thing. If you're thinking that people who use the word literally or shut the front door are kind of part of a group, if it's become a classification, and we all classify people. We categorize like crazy. It's a human trait. Uh, because there's overwhelming amounts of information that we have to process. And so in order to manage that, we categorize things, including people. And so if you've put people who say literally into a category that has a whole bunch of other traits that are negative, then, then yeah, you become kind of, you've got the same stereotype kind of prejudice intolerance thing kind of going on as well. So here's what I have to ask when it comes to my uh, pet peeve. Okay. Um, from my perspective, um, and, and again, it, it does honestly confuse me a little bit as to why I know I'm passionate about music, and I'm passionate about mm -hmm. that. So I can understand right. part of where it comes from. But I some, sometimes I listen to, the, I, I try to pull myself back and think, why am I reacting mm -hmm. to this? And I and I'll never say to the person up front, "Wow, you're an idiot. You don't mm -hmm. know music." I I never ever say that. Right. But in my mind, I know I'm going through those steps. Right. So that's the one thing that really uh, puzzles me is this visceral, intense reaction when it comes mm -hmm. to something that frankly means very little. And I've seen this in other people too. When it comes to these little pet peeves, these little habits, these little, you know, uh, ticks, if you will, mm -hmm. and I'd love to know why something so inconsequential can have such a huge impact on you. I think that, I mean, one of the things you're saying is that this is extremely important to you. Yes, very. And much the so. other thing you're saying is that this is not important to you, and so you know, we we kind of need to kind of, I think that that this is very important to you is probably. Uh, you know, more real in this situation. And I think you're puzzled as to why. Um, and I think, I mean, it's your identity, it's who you are. You might not feel very secure in that, I don't know. You, I don't know where you are in your, mu your musical career or, or how successful you feel in that. It's Maybe a you quote-unquote like, career. Okay, well, there way. we go, there we go. So then we got, you know, people who get angry, generally speaking, if you're, you know, if you have more anger in your life, generally speaking, you have likely issues with your uh you know with your view of yourself and you're using that in order to kind of in order to cope so i mean we could enter into some psychoanalysis here if you'd like but <laughs> to please <kind> do of, <laughs> to <laughs> uncover tristan's you know deep uh, whatever's going on there um but you know it, it is a puzzle unfortunately i don't know if it, it applies to a psychological principle as much as maybe something that 
you need to kind of delve deep into. <laughs> so what you're saying is basically I'm a racist snob. Is that, is that, is that the end game of this? Well, I, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to use better language than that and, and trying to make this something that maybe you can accept. But no. <laughs> no, I, I would I would agree. Well, not the racist. But you're not a racist. <laughs> no. Oh, thanks. That's a ringing endorsement, Brett and Gary. You know, Tristan, you're not a racist, so you're you're okay. You're only slightly horrible. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's that, that's accurate. <laughs> that's accurate. That's Dr. Great. Cyrus is our guest. His website is drcyrus.com. He is a clinical psychologist, and we're talking about pet peeves. And after we have a look at your forecast, I want to get into the subject of pet peeves in the situation, in the context of a relationship. So we will have that discussion from the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza. Patio Palooza continues, and we will continue our conversation with Dr. Cyrus after your forecast, which is up next. Before we read the forecast, traffic tip. Southbound Keniston in front of the Good Life Fitness Center. There is a stall in the left lane, so that's backing traffic up to Grant. So once again, southbound Keniston, in front of the Good Life Fitness Center, there's a stall in the left lane, backed up to Grant. Yes, I know, southbound Keniston is backed up. I'm stunned as you are. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. Forecast is brought to you by Global. What happens when you can't resist temptation? New Big Brother on a special time, Sunday at 7, only on Global. Forecast for today, mix of sudden cloud, 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28. Clearing tonight, low 14. Mix of sudden cloud tomorrow with a high of 30. And on Sunday, sunny and 25. It is 27. I'm going to guess, actually. I, I forgot to open that. Hang on. <laughs> Just give me one second. It's I, Oh, it's 27. Savannah has confirmed from Master Control back at... The studio, 27 degrees at 680. CJOB. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones, live on location at Santa Lucia Pizza. Patio Palooza continues. We're here every Friday through the summer. I think we have one more up next week. And, uh, by the way, congratulations once again to... Uh, oh, where did I put those names? It was uh, some something Mira... I forgot. Oh, that's great. We want to thank our listeners for listening I, to I us. I called it. I called it. I was. I thought I could remember it off the top of my head, but clearly we like to I thank don't. Kathleen Mira. Oh, you the got winner it. of the Santa Lucia uh, hundred dollar tab, and it is lovely. So come on down, say hi, and uh, it's uh, again. It. I honestly think it's the best pizza in town. I, it's hard to disagree with that. Uh, we're going to talk. Continue our conversation with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, clinical psychologist. DrCyrus.com is the website. And we're talking about pet peeves. Tristan was thinking about pet peeves because he, uh, well, you know, he gets enraged when people tell him they like dumb pop songs for some reason. I just think that makes him a snob, but whatever. That's his pet peeve. Uh, But Dr. Cyrus uh, also specializes in relationship issues. And Dr. Cyrus, this has to be something that comes up in uh, conversation. People develop pet peeves Mm -hmm. regarding their significant other. Oh, definitely. I think that um, when people start to develop uh, kind of problems in a relationship and they have less, you know, liking for each other, then, uh, you know, when their patience kind of drops, all of a sudden these things that kind of are covered over by rose-colored glasses all of a sudden become issues. Um, But, you know, like people come into relationships with the way, you know, doing things the way that they like to do things, their patterns, and even small things can become significant issues in relationships. You know, the classic one that I don't think I've actually ever run into in therapy would be, you know, wh- where do you squeeze the toothpaste or, uh, or you know, uh, dirt on the mirror or something like I don't know, things Leaving like the that. Leaving the toilet seat up. Yeah, that's toilet, gotta, there's, that's, there's that's one. Or how you put the toilet roll on or yeah. stuff like that. And um, 
so yeah, definitely, this comes up, you know, uh, not those ones per se, but I don't know, other ones. <laughs> <laughs> you put the toilet roll up? Well, you know, like, no, the way that you, uh, yeah. you know, whether it rolls forward or rolls backwards, that's yeah. that's something I for people. I prefer them. the waterfall, the over. Oh, the over one, yeah, okay, you're yeah. an over person. Yeah. I think most people are over people, aren't they? There's people who don't think yeah, about it and do it backwards. This is a topic that needs deep psychoanalysis. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, he's, he's stumbled onto something, though. It's the, These are the little things right. that, that can drive people in a relationship yes. crazy when they, as he pointed out, when they start to, maybe they don't like each other as much, they start to focus on all the dumb right. things that we do. Yeah. Um, and I think that often happens, not just in relationships necessarily, but maybe just in close friendships or even family. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so when does it, and along those lines, when does it become a problem? Because I'll, I'll, I'll see a pet peeve as more of a quirk or a habit, right? It's And usually it's nothing serious because it really means nothing at the end of the day. For sure. But when can those pet peeves actually become problems and actually start to derail a relationship? And, and what do you do? Well, I think oftentimes you get this question from the partner who's getting complained about where it's like, this is such a minor thing. Why are we even talking about, you know, the toilet seat or something like that? And, uh, you know, the other person will say, yeah, it's not a big deal, but I still feel really strongly about it. And so the explanation that I usually give for that would be it's not about the toilet seat or the or the toothpaste or whatever it is. It's actually about a it's about an expression of love. So if I am saying that this is important to me, somehow I've said that to you. I've said I like you know the toilet seat down or whatever. Now it's something that's so small and you don't do it. What does that say about how much you care about me? And if every time I see that toilet seat up, it's such a small thing. Why don't you why don't you love me? Why don't you care about me? Why don't you care about the things that I like? And that can become an issue when you feel like your partner doesn't care about you and um, so it's not re it's never really about the toilet seat uh, it's usually about kind of the, the feeling that your partner just doesn't care what if it's something that that's just like a like a mannerism that a person has or a tick mm. or something that that they're not doing on purpose or they're not doing right. it because they're thoughtless that's just they just do it because that's part of who they are right so that's not something that can necessarily be changed so yeah. what would you say to like if Tristan said, I really hate it when Brett, I don't know, uh, does anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I can't, it's not something that I can change. Right. What would your advice be to someone to get over it, essentially? Okay, well, um, normally, like one rule for, you know, for relationships is not to ask your partner to do something that they can't do. And uh, so, I mean, there always needs to be that initial evaluation of, is this something that your partner is actually capable of changing? And, you know, sometimes the answer is no. Um, and, or maybe only minimally that they can change this. Now, there are ways to kind of overcome, you know, small ticks or things like this sometimes, not always. Um, so you can answer that question first. But then I think um, usually you kind of work on the rest of the relationship and you kind of get people to be back in love again, and then all of a sudden these issues are not issues anymore. Uh, you know, so you kind of look for the deeper needs in relationships because usually the needs in relationships aren't to, you know, uh, to not do that tick. Normally the needs in relationships are to kind of feel enough affection or uh, have enough emotional connection or to, um, you know, be a good parent or, or different things like that. And if you get those things in order, um, oftentimes the things that sometimes couples come in talking about go away and you just don't hear about them and they never say why they went away, they just stop talking about them. And so, I mean, if, if you meet all the needs and they keep talking about this, then maybe you have to talk about acceptance and, and, um, and letting it go. Uh, but normally you just kind of focus on improving, you know, the deeper things. How do you approach a pet peeve or a habit 
uh, maybe, I think we should add we only have about a minute left. Well, here, maybe guys. in someone else. For instance, uh, one of the things I really don't like is when people will, you know, uh, not disgusting spitting sound, right? Where they'll kind of, they'll, uh, and I don't want to replicate it on air. Well, like, <laughs> a, like a whore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. And it's just, you know, maybe let's say somebody, let's say somebody does that yeah. frequently and, you know, you don't want to yell at them and say, will you stop it? How do you approach someone uh, with that mannerism or that tick and uh, say we gotta we gotta fix this? Well, I mean we don't have a lot much time, but I think the main principle is like the example I often use is a sock on the floor. Like if you don't like somebody putting something on the bedroom floor or something like that, don't talk about the sock on the floor when there's a sock on the floor. So don't talk about horking when somebody's horking. So if somebody has a problem or and you're triggered by it, you know uh, manage that trigger. Wait for a time when they're not doing that thing. And then have a calm conversation about it later, when uh, when you can talk about it calmly, and when they're not in the middle of it, and they're not feeling defensive about it because you just caught them doing something, and they're, you know, so that would be like a pretty simple uh, uh, way to approach somebody is just don't do it when they're doing it. Don't approach them when they're actually in that behavior. DrCyrus.com is the website. His name is Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He is a clinical psychologist. We've been talking today about pet peeves. He joins us every Friday at this time on 680 CJOB. Dr. Cyrus, thank you very much, sir. It's always a pleasure. Cottage right. Country Forecast up next. It is Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling along with Brett McGarry. We are on the patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. A lovely afternoon, a nice warm and sunny afternoon. And feel free to pop by and say hello uh, again, it looks like it's going to be a stellar weekend, so spend it outside if you can. Uh, earlier today, we did an interview with Helen Stevenson. She's the founder and CEO of the Reformulary Group, uh, and she was also the former Assistant Deputy Minister of Health and Executive Officer of Ontario Public Drug Programs. Brett and I learned a lot today about prescription drugs and the surprising amount of Canadians who do not have drug coverage, along with uh, some tidbits about how to effectively become prescription drug literate. So we asked Helen Stevenson about these things, and here is our conversation. How many Canadians are without drug coverage, and why is this such a big deal? Yeah, so it's certainly estimated that about 15 to 20 percent of Canadians may not have drug coverage, and therefore they're paying out of pocket for medications. I mean, that would include, for instance, there are a lot of self-employed people in Canada, for instance, and they may not, not necessarily buy their own individual plans. And then, of course, there are just a lot of Canadians that um, wouldn't necessarily have the means to be able to to buy an individual drug plan. What can we do for these people out there? Because I can think of a few people uh, that I know of who might do freelance work or who might work in, you know, unusual fields, not your, you know, office worker, nine to five type job. How can those people get the coverage they, they need? So, I mean, it is, I mean, there are opportunities for people to buy individual drug plans or health plans, rather. Um, they are, they could be prohibitively expensive to certain people. But that said, I mean, you, you highlight a really good issue in the system today in that there really isn't a good or rather hasn't been a good source of information around drugs and what are actually, you know, alternatives that are clinically similar for Canadians. Um, it's something actually that we're, you know, in, in my current um, role that we're addressing and, and in fact bringing out a tool called Drug Finder that can give Canadians access to credible, trusted information with respect to drugs and alternatives. And uh, it's Brett McGarry here, by the way. Um, I'm just uh, I'm looking at the information here and I see that, is this correct, that in Canada... Uh, from employer-funded drug plans, more than $3 billion per year are being wasted to cover the cost of expensive drugs? 
So that was a study that was done earlier this year, absolutely, and it was done by a third party, and they estimated that, as you pointed out, $3 billion of waste. What that really relates to is spending money on a certain drug where there's a much less expensive alternative that works just as well. And it is, there's absolutely, it's a, I'll say it's a challenge in the system, but on the other hand, consumers and Canadians really just don't know that there are alternatives. And I think that is one of the big challenges in the system is there's very little information that's available in a easy to understand way from a, from a trusted source with respect to drugs and what are um, clinically similar alternatives. Why is so much money being wasted? Is this companies that are looking for more profit or is this just misinformation, not enough being done on the government's part? I mean, I'm curious to know why so much is being wasted. Sure. So this, the study that was done was really related to employer-funded plans. So companies, for instance, that offer health benefit plans to their employees. And a lot of those plans, I mean, I know when I, I had a five-year stint in the public sector managing the big Ontario plan and then left and founded this company in the private sector. And, and six and a half years ago, the stats were that over 90% of the employer-funded plans in Canada paid for 100% of anything, essentially. Well, not quite 100%, but paid had a formulary or a list of drugs that covered absolutely everything. And so what happens is then is, um, you know, there's a, it's just the opportunity to be able to pay for drugs that might be quite a bit more expensive when there are alternatives available. And so that's really where we, you know, what, what historically how the system has been is there hasn't been any advice, let's say, and any recommendations built into that formulary. And that's part of the problem. And so as a result, right, if you've ever been to your doctor's office and they say, do you have a private drug plan? Sometimes it, it seems like it's sort of code for, you know, I can, you, you've got an open formulary, meaning every drug is there no matter how expensive it is, et cetera. And I guess with an aging population, the drug spending is probably going to go up. Correct. So we are seeing, I mean, as you point out, aging population, as people get older, they tend to have more medical conditions um, and therefore taking more drugs, for instance, different combinations of drugs. And there's also certainly been a big trend in terms of expensive specialty drugs is what uh, the phrase that we use that are coming onto the market. So a specialty drug is essentially, it's really referring to a drug that is either for a very, you know, a more, let's say, complex condition and or the drug itself is, for instance, a biologic, which is a different um, way that drugs then are, are manufactured, for instance. And those drugs tend to be very expensive. And so that's all also adding to it is that we're also there are more 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 expensive drugs on the market as well. Ellen, what can we do to be more uh, literate? I guess when it comes to prescription drugs, what are some resources out there so we can inform ourselves and so employers can inform themselves? Right. I mean, that is a it is a it's a great question and probably the biggest challenge is you know if you if you Google drugs for instance you tend to get what's called the product monograph or essentially right that is the document let's say from the pharmaceutical company with respect to their product but it's very clinically oriented it's not necessarily a document that a consumer could read 
So, I mean, we, I mean, I will sort of just one, you know, quick, again, reference back to our tool. One of the things that we've done over the last six years is reviewed all of these drugs with a group, an expert panel of doctors and pharmacists, and give the recommendations with, which, excuse me, with respect to which drugs provide the best value. So clinical value and also from a cost perspective. And so that actually, it's a tool that we've built. We're also now going to make it available to Canadians. And it really is, you know, meeting, we believe meeting that need is that as Canadians, we want to be more informed and more empowered to be involved in those choices. That is Helen Stevenson, founder and CEO of the Reformulary Group and former Assistant Deputy Minister of Health and Executive Officer of the Ontario Public Drug Programs. Great conversation and uh, some good information about uh, prescription drugs and the number of Canadians who are without them and just being a little more prescription drug wise. Brett, I believe in our next segment we may or may not be giving something away? We just might be giving something away. We have our final set of tickets for Guns and Roses, so wait for your cue to call. You will need to answer a skill testing question, which I think I have somewhere buried in this set of papers, although I think I may have actually left it at work. So uh, We'll figure that out in a moment. Uh, also want to make sure we, uh, we acknowledge that Kathleen Mira has arrived. Kathleen Mira is the winner of this week's Santa Lucia Pizza $100 tab to enjoy at Patio Palooza, St. Mary's Road, Santa Lucia Pizza, and a reminder as well that Ron Kozuzek, and I really hope I'm saying that name right, Ron, but if not, uh, Kozuzek, you can, you can slap me next week when you come say hi because you're the winner for next Friday's tab for Patio Palooza. In the meantime, traffic and weather up next. Brett McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones, Santa Lucia Pizza, Patio Palooza continues. We are on the rooftop patio on St. Mary's Road. Congratulations to Kathleen Mira. She is here today with three of her pals to enjoy a $100 tab. Ron Kozuzek has been selected as the winner for next week. We've been doing this contest at CJOB.com, so congratulations to Kathleen and Ron. Right now, we have stuff to give away. Guns and Roses tickets. They are playing next Thursday. August 24th, Investors Group Field with special guests, Our Lady Peace. We have two tickets to give away right now to the person who knows the answer to this question about Guns N' Roses. In 2008, Chinese democracy earned a dubious distinction, came to be known as the most expensive rock album ever made. Your question, what did it cost? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Once again, in 2008, Chinese Democracy came to be known as the most expensive rock album ever made. What did it cost? Call us now at 204-780-6868. While Jeff Forte and Master Control back at 1440, Jack Lick is looking for an answer. Got to point out a text message that we got here from David, uh-huh. who, who texted us yesterday. And uh, you can let the music go, Forte. And uh, said that... He predicted Edmonton would win. He was one of the texters right. who predicted that Edmonton would not just win against the Winnipeg Blue Bowl, oh, yeah, Blue Bombers, score. but destroy them. He wasn't the 61-9 to guy. <laughs> uh, but David predicted 48-20 for Edmonton. He said, and his words yesterday were, quote, Sorry, guys. Got to give this one to Edmonton. 48-20. And he just texted us uh, earlier this afternoon. And he says, although he, he addressed it to Greg. 
Uh, Greg's not here, Dave, but uh, that's okay. We appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. I'm Brett, and he's Tristan. We'll take the consolation prize. He says... <laughs> the participation award. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a gold star! Yay! Yay! Woo! Um, want to admit that I was way wrong regarding the Bombers yesterday. Excellent performance by the whole team. And then he added, uh, P.S. Splatters is on Highway 311. Left turn off of uh, 59. Thank you for that. That's in New Bothwell. But, hey, good for you, David, for following up. We appreciate the follow-up. Also... Um, we got a few other uh, pretty neat texts here. I wanted to... <laughs> Mick Dund texted us earlier this afternoon when I was talking about how I'm afraid of spiders. Right. And he says, Jeez, Brett, there are loads of frightening things. North Korea, empty rum bottles. <laughs> That's where he got me. Disco, etc. Spiders don't need to be one of them. Just let them be cool and do their thing. And just so you know, I do let the spiders do their thing. I, Like I said, I remember walking into my bedroom. I just got home, flipped on the light in the bedroom, saw this big spider on the wall, like bigger than a toonie. And I, I kind of thought, do I kill him? Do I? What do I do? Do I let him outside? And then I just decided to leave him. Because if there's a spider in the apartment, that means there's something for the spider to eat. So I let him, let him stay and do his thing. And I don't know where he is now. We got another text here real quick uh, before we go to break from one of our regulars, Kristen, who uh, mentioned that uh, she uh, didn't win again. Uh, I suspect it was the Santa Lucia tab that she was referring to. She didn't win again. Is it because I sassed Tristan? Totally worth it. Um, she uh, Yesterday I said some very, very nice things about Brett, uh, and uh, Kristen thought that I was being a big meanie. She said, why is Tristan being so mean to Brett? I can't believe I said he was my new favorite. I retract my proclamation. Yeah, well, she says it was totally worth sassing me. Uh, No, Kristen, if you think Tristan has that much kind of, that much pull around here that he can ensure that you don't win, uh, trust us, he does not. I wouldn't do that anyway because, frankly, it's too much effort. Yeah. So, uh... We're going to pause and have a quick peek at your forecast and then sports in two minutes. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling. We are live at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road, the rooftop patio, the extraordinary rooftop patio, which has a retractable roof, which every time I come here, it just, it's so neat. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great atmosphere. We had to, we had to call it in because as, as awesome as it is to sit in a, on a patio on a hot, sunny, sunny day, to do it for three hours, it gets kind of melty. Especially when you're wearing a black shirt like I am. So we uh, we got them to close. They can close individual uh, banners on it. So that's kind of neat. Uh, so you should come check it out. Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. Patio Palooza continues next week. And um, got to, first of all, before I forget, we need to offer some congratulations to Keith Weary, who successfully answered the question, Tristan. And I'm curious to hear the answer because I, I know... Uh, yeah, I know that the, the album you're referring to was super expensive. I don't know what the exact number was. Guns and Roses in 2008. Chinese Democracy was the album that was released. And it came to be known as the most expensive rock album ever made. The production costs were more than $13 million oh. for a single album. It was in development for 14 years. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's ridiculous. And then I think it only went on to sell something like 600,000 copies. or I don't know. That and number I'm pulling off out of thin air, so I, I don't know if, if that's for certain. But And you look at Sgt. Pepper, uh, the masterpiece album by the Beatles, which in 1967 cost a mere 25000 to make. At the time, was the most expensive album ever made. That's true. So, hey, Tristan with the trivia. Keith Weary, congratulations. You're going to Guns N' Roses. 
Thursday, August 24th, Investors Group Field with special guests, Our Lady Peace. Also, uh, I just got to read this text because uh, before news and sports, we I just sort of reiterated how I was afraid of spiders. <laughs> And somebody texted us at 204-780-6868 that says, Hi, Brad, I guess you can't date my daughter because she hates spiders too. Disappointing. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. I did say that. I I said, hey, I I don't hate them. I'm just scared of them. But if I had to deal with one, I would. I have actually captured one. I did the Taz Stewart. Right. Uh, when he talked about the cup and the paper, where you slide the paper underneath the cup and capture the spider and then set it outside. I have done that. Yeah. Is that usually de- is I let him leave. That, that's definitely the first time a woman was disappointed in you, Greg. Or, Brett. Can't even get my name right, can you? Sorry, no. And no, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, 3.40 on a, on a Friday afternoon. What do you want from me? I, I don't know. How about I tell you what's new at the box office this weekend? There are three films to tell you about. I'm an executive protection agent. My job is to keep you out of harm's way. (laughs) The movie with the highest profile this weekend has two of the biggest stars out there, Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. It's the hitman's bodyguard. Happy safe, Romo! You will last one hour without me. My bad. You're bad. I hope they kill him, I really do. In this action comedy, Jackson plays a hitman. Reynolds is the bodyguard assigned to protect him. They hate each other. Violence and comic hijinks ensue. Ryan Reynolds braves Sam Jackson as obnoxious in every way. <laughs> Can't someone just taser him? Samuel L. Jackson calls Ryan Reynolds extraordinarily annoying. Not a fan. How about we never speak of this again? And Selma Hayek proclaims Sam and Ryan need to stop flirting and get a room already. What? That one's getting decent reviews. This next one is getting great reviews. It's called Logan Lucky. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. Logan Lucky stars Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as brothers Jimmy and Clyde Logan. They want to reverse a family curse by carrying out an elaborate robbery during the legendary Coca-Cola 600 race at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh, who directed the Ocean's Eleven movies. And this kind of looks like Ocean's Eleven with rednecks. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. How many yards do I use the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. Once again, it's getting solid reviews and has a solid cast that includes Daniel Craig in a new kind of role for himself. I'm about to get naked. So no bacon. I said no bacon. Finally, from the writer of Sicario and Hell or High Water, this next one is called Wind River. I'm Jane Banner, FBI. Welcome to Wyoming. By yourself? It's just me. That's Corey Lambert. He's the one who found the body. This is a homicide. I knew that girl. She's a fighter. It's about a rookie FBI agent played by Elizabeth Olsen investigating a murder on a remote First Nations reserve. She's joined by a local game tracker played by Jeremy Renner. 
They have six officers to cover an area the size of Rhode Island. Maybe you can help. I only know what the tracks say. What is it that you do again? I'm predators. So why don't you come hunt one for me then? It is the finale of Taylor Sheridan's Modern American Frontier Trilogy. As mentioned, Sheridan wrote the scripts for Sicario and Hell or High Water, both critically acclaimed and Oscar-nominated. Sheridan also wrote the script for Wind River on top of directing it. And once again, like Logan Lucky, Wind River is getting solid reviews. Shouldn't we wait for backup? This isn't the land of backup, Jane. This is a land of your on your own. Luck don't live out here. There you go. That is what's new at the movies this weekend. Wind River, The Hitman's Bodyguard, as well as... Logan Lucky. I already forgot there. I was distracted. Bubba, our promotions guy, just hands me this pair of uh, glasses here. They're, they're like the Hanson brothers from Slapshot. And uh, it has a label on it that says Brett Bad Boy McGarry. So I'm still trying to figure out where who provided me with these glasses. But I'm going to take a f- picture of myself and put it on the Instagrams, as I like to say. Yeah, you are so cool. You can follow me on Instagram at just at Brett McGarry. You can find me there. And I... Bubba! Come here. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sit down. Put on a headset. Wow. Yeah, what, why am I wearing these glasses? Where do they come from? First off, gentlemen, you look nice today. Thank you. <laughs> this coming Tuesday, uh, Slapshot celebrating their 40th anniversary, the movie Slapshot. Let's not get confused with Slapshot 2 or 3. Okay. Let's try and forget those. But uh, they are throwing a golf tournament at St. Boniface Golf Course this coming Tuesday. Okay. Um, all proceeds are going to concussion research. Yep. I'd give you a website. I don't have one. Um, you can come to Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's, where they are holding the 19th hole and the after party with most of the cast of the Slapshot movie, including the Hanson brothers. So, oh. wow. So you can uh, come here and get the information or just look up Slapshot Golf Tournament St. Boniface Golf Course. Okay. On Google. On the That's Google neat. Machine. Yeah. I like the glasses. I, I do, how, what, what do you think, Tristan? I think they shoot you very well, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bubba, thanks for the information. I appreciate it. It is 3.46. We're going to stop and check traffic as well as weather. And then we're going to hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham to find out what's coming up on the news starting in two minutes. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling this week and for a few more days next week before Hal Anderson takes the baton for Thursday and Friday. And about to take the baton on 680 CJOB from 4 until 7, Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Are they back at the studio? Are you there? We are here, bad boy, Brett. <laughs> Why is he a bad boy? He got a glass. I got glasses. I got the Hanson Brothers glasses, and they have a label on them from, it says, Brett Bad Boy McGarry. Oh. I just put a picture on my Instagrams. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I saw the picture yesterday of you wearing your, your solar shades. That's right. And well, I said, future so bright, you got to wear shades, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Apparently, it's all, it's all about eyewear on my Instagram this week. <laughs> so. Well, that's something different for a change, isn't it? Sure. I, I, can I offer you a confession, Richard? Yes, I, you can. I've never actually seen, and and I'm going to get a lot of hatred for this because I'm one of the couch potatoes, and I, the answer, this, I should not be even saying this, but I have never seen the film Slapshot. Oh, really? Really, yeah. 
it's on my list of movies I need, I must watch. So I apologize to all the hockey fans out there. I have never seen Slapshot. Well, I think a lot of us have seen parts of it, but you know, I haven't actually seen it. I don't think I've it. ever seen the really? whole thing. Really, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I've seen parts of it since. Oh, yeah, wow. I saw it when yeah. I was a kid several years ago, and I remember bits and pieces of it. But uh, that's yeah, not I, a Tristan Field Jones movie, though. Uh, I don't remember much of it, so I'd have to rewatch it. I'm open to anything, Rich. When it comes to movies, Good. hey, I've been surprised more than once, so I'm happy. Anyway, we're not here to talk about movies. We're here to talk about what Richard and Julie have after 4 o'clock. Well, so what, it's so interesting have? because this is uh, a real life, but many people think that the White House is nothing but a movie, a bad movie. Steve Bannon is out. We'll have the latest information on that. Uh, Folklorama wraps up this weekend as well. It certainly does, so we'll get details on that. And apparently at, at the White House, uh, there is a, a request for proposal that has gone out to install a revolving door. <laughs> That's a good one, Julie. Just saying. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty of bids for that one. Holy moly. And, and you know, we, we think about uh, what's, what happens in the U.S., I have to remind myself that we are, what is it, seven months into this presidency now? Oh, is that it all? It feels like seven years. Is that yeah. All? <laughs> is that all? I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what else, how else do you describe it? It's, been, it's generated enough news, and I say this, you know, political um, leanings aside, it's generated enough news for it to be an entire presidency. Uh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, it's funny. I remember when uh, uh, John Stewart, people would uh, would talk to him, and uh, when uh, Barack Obama was first elected, uh, they were saying, oh, "Are you going to be sad that he's now president because we have less material?" And John Stewart would always say, "Well, it's the absurdity of the system that always gives us the most material." So I can only imagine what comedians and late night talk show hosts are getting out of this because this, what we've seen over the last few months, is nothing but absurdity of the system. Hey, this guy's making Bush look really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you guys remember when George Bush was the biggest thing we had to worry about? Yeah. yeah. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. They will have more in the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. We are about to wrap it up from Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. Patio Palooza resumes next Friday with me and Hal Anderson. That's going to be fun. And um, thanks to Mike Guyson who set everything up today, thanks to Jessica Kaminsky. Did I say your name correctly? I've never actually said your full name. Jessica Kaminsky is our promo person who's taking care of all the internet social medias today. And uh, thanks to Tristan Field-Jones. It's been fun. On Monday, just a quick plug, I'm going to be live at the Planetarium starting, I think, at about 1130. Uh, the partial eclipse is there. Uh, Planetarium sold out uh, of glasses. They had 10,000 pairs, all gone. Uh, good luck trying to find it at toy stores. Maybe your optometrist might have a pair, but those things are selling like crazy. They were sold out yesterday at uh, the planetarium. So, again, good luck with that. Um, and uh, just as a reminder as well, if you do want to take a look at the Eclipse, a welding mask is acceptable so long as it has a lens rating of 14. It is, uh, I believe, let me just confirm that. Yes, a lens rating of 14 is safe if you have a welder's mask. Uh, so uh, there you have it. But, again, Monday I'm looking forward to. That's going to be fun. Don't we often say that, do you? Cottage Country Weather is up next.